Hello and welcome to the Stoicism Philosophy as a Way of Life podcast. My name is Donald Robertson and I have with me today my good friend Jim Vasilopoulos and we're going to talk about his new book which is about clarity. Uh, Hey Jim, so do you want to say a little bit about who you are and what you do to introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, Thank you, Donald. It's an honor to be with you today. I really enjoy it. Um, I, um, you know, I I don't think there's anything super special about me. I'm a business guy. I've done some things. I've built some companies and, uh, you know, been in business for a long time. And um, I always like to tell people that, uh, you know, now my job is helping other people open their presence because I've already already opened mine. Um, And I'm a business advisor. I'm an executive coach. And uh, I just enjoy helping people you know, open their presence. That's what I do now. It's fun. Tell us a little bit about the companies that you built. Like, what did they do? You know, uh, I, I kind of got lucky and got involved in the internet pretty early. And, um, you know, one of the first companies we had was, you know, building websites and stuff like that very early on. And, um, so built that up, moved on from that, um, you know, learned a lot of lessons, made a lot of mistakes, you know, missed out on a lot of opportunities that had I been a little bit wiser and older, I probably would have capitalized on more. Then went into another consulting organization where we did a lot more management consulting as well as technology consulting, and then built a software as a service company that we eventually sold um, and did quite well on that one. So that was nice, but uh, mostly in the tech space has been my career. Cool. Jim, what would you do differently if you could turn back the clock and do it all again? Uh, That's a fair question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, um, that's I a think tough question. Uh, have you got an, have you got an answer prepared? Why, I, I think it? I would have been a little bit more sophisticated with um, money um, in in you taking outside investments. Uh, you know, I you know keeping a hundred percent of a small pie is a lot um, less profitable than keeping a small percent of a really big pie. So early on, we were involved in the internet. I mean, really, really early. Um, and before it was even called the internet, we were involved in like DARPAnet um, from right. the defense industry. And, um, so we had some skills and we were doing quite well with those skills, but, um, there were a lot of other companies that were trying to get into the space once it became more powerful and commercial. And, um, um, you know, I kind of resisted outside investment cause I'm like, why do I need your money? I'm already ahead of you. Yeah. I'm already ahead of you in the race. Well, you know, a couple of years went by and, you know, other companies had, you know, millions yeah. of dollars in marketing budgets right. and everything else. And we got squashed for the yeah. most part. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was just a little bit naive and young, you know, makes sense. And now you're helping other people. Like, like, how did you end up helping other people? You know, it's interesting. Uh, it was never really my intention to kind of get down that path. But, you know, I was always did quite well helping my clients with more than just, let's say, the technology solutions my company provided, you know, giving them just good sound counsel and advice. And uh, I guess people always appreciated that. And um, I enjoyed it. And then, you know, as I sold that last company, um, People were asking me, what do you want to do? And I said, maybe I'll run another company. I don't know what I'll do. And then someone, a good friend just said like, why don't you just do what you've always been doing and help other people? And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Um, and, you know, I was like, do you think people would pay me for that? Because typically I, <laughs> I would just help them for free. And they said, yeah, I think people will pay you for that. And so I, I just kind of tried it and I found out that I should have done it probably 10 years earlier. I love it. It's, it's just, it brings a lot of joy in my life to help other people. Um, not make all the mistakes I made. Well, there's no shortage of people out there that want help. Like, and there's even more people that need help. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed there are. 
So, uh, and that's led you on a path. You got into, you, you know, you run uh, your own businesses and then you get into helping other people. And now you've ended up right now that you're, you're about to release your book, publish your book. Um, how did you get to uh, publishing the book? You know, I think um, I even went back and like, even when I was early, early in my career, I always had like these aspirations of kind of writing a book on something I understood. And um, uh, I had a lot of encouragement from the co-host of my podcast, Leadership Podcast, which you've been uh, a guest on um, to say, hey, Jim, you need to write a book. And he and he and a lot of other people were saying, write a book on sales because I do a lot of sales coaching and help people with that. And I said, I don't want to write a book on sales because what I tend to do is much more broad um, in context and help people holistically with their business. And so I thought carefully about it. I'm like, what is it that people value, you know, when they work with me? And, and um, you know, I thought maybe it was, you know, wisdom. And I went pretty deep in researching wisdom. And, you know, and that was part of my path into stoicism and everything else. And, um, you know, folks like you and Dan Pink helped me kind of talk to the right people and, and you know, really do my research. But then what I found is I spoke with clients was they really didn't value wisdom as much as they valued the clarity that resulted from yeah. wisdom. And that's really where then that topic, you know, kind of piqued my curiosity is like, okay, let me think about that process and how does that happen and what do people value? It's right. a big topic, but you know, it, it, it really um, forced me to clarify my thoughts. And I don't even care if anyone reads the book, honestly, it, you know, I, I hope people do and I hope they find value, but the reality is it helped me clarify my thinking on the subject just by uh -huh. putting pen to paper. There you go. And there's yeah. a lot of value in that. I was Benjamin, Benjamin has really said the best way to learn about a subject is to write a book about it. Yeah. That's one of my favorite quotes. It's definitely like it, it clarifies your, your own thinking, focuses the mind. Indeed. Uh, when you have to write a book about it. Well, let's start at the beginning then. What is the full title of the book? The full title is Clarity, Business Wisdom to Work Less and Achieve More. Okay, so let's get a question. I've got a good question that emerges from that immediately. Jim, what is the difference? You've touched on this a little bit, but let's dig a little bit deeper into it. What is, or what is the relationship between wisdom and clarity? I think uh, clarity is, is an outcome of wisdom. Uh, I, I think, you know, clarity is an outcome. Wisdom is a, is a process. Um, wisdom is uh, something you chase, but you never achieve. I think um, if you ever feel like you've achieved it, you are completely fooling yourself. It, it's, it's always around the corner. It's always a false summit that can never be achieved. Um, but I do believe that clarity is an outcome of wisdom. And that is really what is more actionable. And that's why I think people value it, because it's the outcome. What's the opposite of clarity? What is the opposite of clarity? It's a fair yeah. question. It's a good question. Um, like confusion I, or something? It, it could be confusion. I think it's really um, uh, misdirection, lack of focus. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily confusion because there are a lot of really smart people out there. They're not confused, but they're just distracted. Um and so I, I, it, it's a tough one. I don't know if there's a singular word to explain the opposite of clarity. Yeah. But when you get clarity, what do you think, what would you say? So you said it's the outcome of wisdom, right? 
So wisdom comes before clarity and leads to it. What follows as a consequence of gaining clarity then? Or you could say, what are the, what do you think are the main benefits of improving your clarity? Yeah, I think, uh, once again, another fabulous question. I think it's focus. Um, it's focus on that which matters most. Um, you know, it's, you always want to be looking at your next best move, your next best alternative, your, you know, disregard the things that really have no impact. And, and this really gets back to the connection with stoicism, which is, you know, Hey, you can worry about a lot of things, but some things are not worth worrying about. You can't do anything about them. So what is it that you can do? What is it that is actionable? What is it that is in your best interest to do next and disregard many of the things that just cloud your mind, um, and really push back on your ability to be productive in the moment. And having your priorities straight, maybe. Absolutely. I think it's something that you're, you're kind of implying there. Like, I wonder if this is just asking a similar question from a different perspective, but, you know, uh, that can be helpful sometimes. What other, what, why don't people already have clarity? Like, that's one of my favorite questions to ask about stuff. Yeah. How come we don't have it already? Like, what's, what stops us from, from having clarity? What's getting in the way? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that gets in the way is, you know, we are living in this, you know, and, and this is nothing new. I mean, this happened 2000 years ago, but we get distracted by things, you know, whether it's our emotions or our internal conflicts or just the outside world around us. There's so many other stimuli that we have that we give um, weight to that we, you know, might not. Um, and I think um, there's there's kind of a, a section towards the end of the book that I think is really powerful, which talks about, let's say, our relationship with time. And one of the things with our relationship with time, there, there are three factors I think that are important to think about is sequencing, timing, and patience. Um, a lot of times we know what to do. We just do things in the wrong order yeah. and um, er, we do them at the wrong time. And um, in order to do things in the right order at the right time, we have to be patient many times. And we are impatient as humans. Yeah. Uh, we want results now and being able to know the sequence with which to do things and the timing with which to do things um, and having the patience to adhere to that discipline is um, I think uh, one of the toughest things we struggle with is, is humans. And um, it's an age old problem. There's nothing new there, but I'd like breaking it down into those three elements. Interesting. And so what, when you were working on the book, what do you think are the main influences that you drew upon? So it sounds like to a large extent you're drawing on your prior experience, right? But was there any, and you looked at stoicism and stuff like that, I know, but was there any other literature or any thinkers or, you know, any other traditions that particularly fed into what you were doing? Um, I mean, it's, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, you know, granted, all my prior experiences with my clients and myself, you know, fed into, you know, kind of the very pragmatic nature of the book. Um, you know, certainly all the books that I've read, including yours, and, um, you know, all the guests we've had on the leadership podcast where we've talked to, you know, people who favored prominently are like Dr. Cialdini, um, you know, on his book on influence and Dan Pink and some of his work. I thought, you know, that stuff really factored deeply. Kahneman's work on, you know, thinking fast and slow factored deeply into kind of the, the, the psychology of how we think and make decisions and what distracts us and how we're biased. I think a lot of that work factors in there. Um, certainly, um, you know, being Greek and having an interest in, uh, you know, the philosophical pursuits and the Stoics is helpful. But I think one of the things that came out that was a surprise to me was a very, you know, 
the influence of my parents, my grandparents on, you know, how I thought. And I realized that it wasn't just, let's say my religious upbringing that was important to me, but like I was raised in like with stoicism is like the foundation of like how we lived our lives. And I didn't realize it until like, you know, I was going through this like really deep evaluation of, of my history and going, gosh, this is like, sounds everything like my grandmother used to say. I mean, it's just like, she was, you know, the stoic in my life. And, um, I just thought that was really interesting because so many of these principles apply in, in, you know, both worlds. But that leads me into another question that's related to what you were just saying, which is, you know, to put it kind of glibly, if you bumped into someone in the street who had a lot of clarity, you meet some dude or some uh, some gal who who's got exemplary clarity. How would you how would you know? Like, what is it that what is it that you would spot in someone? What was it? What is it that would tell you, like, this person's got a lot of clarity? Yeah, and it's um. You know, and I use a lot of analogies in the book and I've always used that in my coaching and my, you know, business, uh, you know, advice that I give to people. And I think they, they really are sometimes more powerful than anything else. Um, but, uh, it would be a, a calm state, you know, a calm and un, unflustered state. And the analogy I always use is, you know, when I was coaching youth sports, um, you know, with kids, there was a kind of a moment in every kid's progression where instead of like panicking when they had the ball and like really being flustered or not knowing what to do next, like there was a moment where it just clicked. And, you know, if you observe that moment, it was just such a fantastic thing where all of a sudden, like the game slowed down for them and they became calm. And in, instead of seeing obstacles, they saw opportunities. And, you know, um, some kids got there quickly, other kids, you know, took longer to get there, but it was always kind of a fantastic moment. And I noticed that with, um, you know, clients I was working with, with consultants, I was trying to teach to get to a higher level of, you know, consulting skill. Um, there was a moment where you might be flustered going into a meeting. And then, you know, there was a point where it's like, okay, you're, you're now calm, you're in control. You've seen things before. You have clarity on like what to disregard and what to um, assess and what to dig deeper on. And um, that's just, uh, that's, I think the outward observation is just a calm and unflustered kind of mentality, which I think is, um, you know, what we all seek in life. What do you think the main benefits of that would be in terms of somebody's relationships so we kind of mentioned like for you i think um it's the the business side of things like you know we could ask how does clarity help people in their career or at work but do you see someone who's achieved that state of mind as having improved their relationships with their friends and their family the spouse and so on how do you think it influences other people around them when somebody's achieved that oh it's an enormous influence. And like the number one thing we have in life is our relationships. You know, um, you know, that, that, you know, the older you get, the more that becomes just openly apparent. And yeah, I think, uh, one of the things that I think a greater sense of clarity brings to you is, um, and let's say in the business world, this comes very commonly with salespeople, like, oh my gosh, this person didn't call me back. What did I do? And, uh, you know, what did I, did I say something wrong? Is my price too high? You know, they're, they got all these fears running around in their head. And 
it might not be any of that. You know, the clarity to say, let me take a step back and just say, maybe they're busy. Okay. Maybe they've got something else going on in their life. Maybe it's the, you know, middle of August and they're taking a child to college. Maybe it's the beginning of September and they're getting a kid ready for school. Maybe they're dealing with a health issue with a parent or a spouse. Um, there might be something else going on. And just having that ability to take a step back, not have the world revolve around you, but to see all the things that are possibly going on and to say, um, you know, to get a broader context of a situation and to get the calm that comes from that. I think that's just, um, you know, something that comes with maturity and age and, you know, hopefully you get it sooner than later. Hopefully you get it at all. I don't know. Some people never do probably. Well, some people get it and then they lose it like many things in life. So, and I think that's actually a fairly common experience that people have. Um, I remember the, psychologist Carl Jung said that he felt as if there were two versions of himself and there was one version that was really wise and kind of serene and intelligent and then there's this other version that kept screwing things up like and letting them down and, and stuff and he thought he'd step back he had this experience that many people have of looking at things in retrospect thinking how did I end up losing my temper in that situation I know better than yeah. that I, you know, sitting here in my armchair, reflecting on it afterwards, you know, I can't understand why I couldn't handle that situation. So how do people, uh, and I think everybody exhibits some degree of clarity at some point in their life in some situations. So how do they end up losing it, do you think? And what can they do to hang on to it better? Yeah, I, you know, it's... um. How do we avoid losing it? That's a, that's a good question. How do we avoid losing it? I think, um, you know, we're always in this war, you know, between like our emotional kind of self and our rational self. And, you know, that's, I think most of philosophy talks about the, the struggle. Most of, um, you know, uh, psychotherapy talks about these struggles between these two worlds. And I think, you know, more than anything, it balances. I think the word I would go after is when you find yourself out of balance, how do you rebalance yourself and just say, wait, you know, I'm getting a little bit too heavy over here on my emotions. And it's not that emotions are bad. They're, they're necessary. I think, you know, we've found through research, if you have like the emotional part of your brain destroyed, you actually can't function. You can't make decisions. Um, it's even the simplest decisions are impossible. So I think everything, you know, whether it's good leadership or clarity or anything else, it's all about balance. And, um, I think what we need to do is find that balance and when we find ourselves out of balance, take a step back and say, how do I restore it? And maybe I need to, you know, and, and it, it's not just our emotions that get the better of us sometimes when we, you know, respond, uh, you know, um, in, a, in a way. It's sometimes it's like, hey, you know, maybe I'm being a bit too logical here. Let me consider someone else's feelings with a greater degree of empathy. And I think when you find yourself out of balance is when you should, you know, reassess and try and find a center yourself somehow. And so I guess that raises the question, how do we, this is kind of, and this is a bit of a segue, I suppose, into the content of your book. What, how do you help other people then? That says, we've talked about, about what clarity is, how you could gain it, how you could lose it. Like, you know, as a coach, for example, or as the author of a, a book in the subject, you know, what do you think are the best ways to help other people improve their clarity? Yeah, it's, um, 
you know, it's such a complicated thing because I wish I could, you know, I wrote a book on this. I, I wish I could say like, here are the five things you need to do and write the LinkedIn article that everyone would read, you know? Um, but the reality is, is it's not that simple. And, and it, it really gets back to the concept of balance. Um, and let's consider when you're learning to ride a bike, um, you know, I could have you read a book on balance. I could have you, you know, um, study up on like, Hey, or here, here's how, you know, balance works, but you can't understand it until you experience it. And so, you know, that's why we put training wheels on a bike and we have people ride and then we slowly raise up the training wheels. So maybe you've got that feeling of safety, but you're still now experiencing balance. And that's why even the people that we trust most in our life, um, when we go to take the training wheels off and learn to ride a bike on two wheels, um, you know, tell you, I'm not going to let go. And they run down the street with you. And then you start experiencing balance and then you realize they've let go. And, um, I think a lot of times coaching people towards clarity and the best thing is people have to experience it to believe and trust in it and to believe that one, they can do it for themselves. That's really the key is, you know, you, you can get someone like me to help you see things more clearly. Um, but the goal is not for me to always be there. The goal is to say, um, hey, I want you to see how you can find that balance without the training wheels on your own and how you can get to the point where you can say, okay, I've experienced it now and I appreciate it. And, you know, if you keep someone like me around, it's like, great, I'll maybe tip you a little bit, you know, influence you a little back when I see you out of balance or something like you're not thinking about this right. But um, uh, I think uh, it's something that's hard to give a prescription for. You have to experience it. And so as a coach or as an advisor, I think it's important to say, um, let's walk this together. Um, I might run alongside you for a little while. You get your confidence, but you need to, you know, my goal always needs to be, how can you establish your own balance? And um, how can you feel it? And once you feel it, then you understand it. So if they read your book, um, what, when did you say it's coming out? It's coming out pretty soon, isn't it? October 18th, yeah. On the 18th of October. Like, if they read your book, what are they going to get from that? What, what, the, what are the main topics that you cover in the content of the book? Yeah, I think it's, it's got kind of five sections and you're kind of like peeling back the onion. Um, and, and it's very business focused, although I, I say I'd be fooling you if I wasn't intentional on saying there's a higher, you know, level of thinking about it. You can probably think about it on a several different planes with regard to, you know, your personal life and with our just society at large. But, you know, we try and peel back the onion and just say, Hey, here are the symptoms that you typically see in business that you can kind of, you know, that distract us. Um, and a lot of these things that we think are the real problems that are just really symptoms because the symptoms in general are just outcomes. Um, mm. you know, culture is an outcome. It's not something you actively manage. It's something that's an outcome of every decision you make. And we can get distracted by, oh, we've got to fix our culture. It's like, no, nah, it's pro- there's probably something else that's going on. The outcome is a, a, an unhealthy culture. So, um, then we go back and I say like, of all the business problems I've ever kind of dealt with as a consultant for many, many years now, um, there are some common ones. And typically these common buckets, this is where the problems typically are. It's not to say that's where all problems are, but they typically fall into these buckets. Let's understand those buckets and let's see how they work. Um, and you know, what, what is really going on there. And then beyond that, um, you know, as we peel back the onion deeper, and this is where I think it interests maybe, you know, 
where you influenced me more is uh, where are the emotional biases? Where are the cognitive biases, logical fallacies, our emotions, our lack of context affect and and really hinder our thinking? Then we get into you know um, a little deeper about you know sequencing, timing, and patience to understand. Okay, now here's the order of precedence to kind of go through things, and then in the end, I kind of explain. Um, you know, really, it's it's a number of different things, but uh, you know, curiosity is you know, just the most important thing. Um, it's the key to the kingdom, uh, that kind of opens everything else. Cause that curiosity opens a door. Then you pave the way towards something I call conscious competence, which is knowing why things are the way they are and why they happen. Uh, so you're not just competent, you're conscious, you know, about the nuances that influence things. And that really results and culminates in business wisdom, which is, you know, at the end of the day, the thing we're all seeking, that is the, you know, gateway to clarity. One of the questions you often hear people asking about any self-improvement technique or anything like that, psychotherapy and stuff is that there's all, there'll always be somebody at some point that says, isn't, isn't this all just common sense? And the answer to that is, I think, yes and no, in most cases, like, cause I always have the feeling like not everything, psychotherapy is a complicated subject, but it. Over the years, many of the things uh, I'm focusing on with clients, I think, sure, at some level, this is definitely common sense. Like, because, as you, you implied earlier, what's common is common, actually. And, you know, you, you'll see everyone's unique, but you, you also tend to see similar things happening mm-hmm. over and over again with people and similar uh, solutions um, will work. Um, and so the puzzling thing is, why aren't we all smarter and wiser? You know, we've had thousands of years to figure this out. Why, you know, we we often end up in the same problems over and over again throughout history. Um, it often feels like we're reinventing the wheel, especially when it comes to managing our lives and our emotions and so on. So, you know, it sounds a bit cheeky to ask that question, isn't this all just common sense? But I think you probably share a similar experience to me, which is, yeah, of course, at some level it is. Like, but you could fill out a book with common sense um, and it would be a revelation to the majority of people when they read it. But they could, it, often it's stuff that they kind of should have or could have known already. Like, or often people hear good advice, but it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Like, you know, like you say about finding balance, uh, they, often they have to have an experience and a, they have a big epiphany, a big revelation. And what, you know, what they realize is, is something that at some level they've known all along, like, mm-hmm. but they never really understood the significance of it. So I just wonder from that perspective, to what extent do you think you're, you're teaching people stuff that they know already or is, uh, is common sense? Um there's nothing new here. This is all common sense. There's nothing new. What is new is, and, and this is what I think resonates with people, it's packaging. Mm-hmm. You know, it's how do you package it? So you sit there and you say, okay, I could read meditations, but I bought your book because you repackaged it better yeah. for me. Meditation, even Marcus Aurelius, meditations, you could, you could read that and go, a lot of this is common sense. I, people do do that. They read yeah. it and they say, this is common sense, but it's still very valuable. You no, know, and, and it's great. And, and it's, and I've read it and I love it and it's fantastic, but I like the way you repackage the story because it, 
it, at the time I read, um, you know, how to think like Roman emperor, I was like, Oh, this is what spoke to me. And then you kind of repackage it again in like the graphic novel, even and you sit yeah. there and you say like, you know, that's just a different repackaging. So I look at this and say, I don't know if I've come up with anything. I know I haven't come up with anything new. This is common sense. And much of this is common sense that came to me through my parents, and my grandparents, um, in my own personal experiences, but it's, it's packaged in a way that might resonate with people. And that's really what you hope is, um, you know, and I, I think that the comforting part for it, for me is that, um, it's a message worth repeating, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's timeless. Like it's, um, a kind of perennial, uh, wisdom would be another way of saying, I guess that's what I'm going to say next time someone says to me, is this not all just common sense? I'm going to say, no, it's perennial wisdom. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> that I like cool. that. Like, but it kind of like I'd, I'd say yes and no. Like, because uh, it's like a mystery in broad daylight. You know, yeah. Aaron Beck, the founder of cognitive therapy, once said, "There's more to the surface than meets the eye." Like, people don't notice uh, what's in, what these is right there before them every day. Um, and actually, like you said, you know, we we all know. One of the reasons that we all know this already is because we have all a lifetime of experience of seeing other people around us and even reading books and watching movies where we think that guy is coping badly mm-hmm. and this guy's coping better. Like, so we all know already what someone looks like when they're going under and what someone looks like when they're dealing with things with clarity and wisdom. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we can generally spot that. So why can't we just do it ourselves? Like, I'd know if I saw someone else do it. To some extent, I, you know, because uh, we, so we spot things around us and we're very familiar with it, but we seem to struggle to, to emulate uh, those qualities or to articulate them sometimes. Um, well, our, our toughest challenge is ourself, mm-hmm. you know, in life. You know, our, our, our biggest challenge is, is, you know, seeing ourselves clearly. And that's why, you know, having good friends, having good mentors, having good coaches is important because, you know, it's very difficult to kind of see, yeah. it's easy to see someone else's problems. It's really tough to see your own. And, and that's just the, you know, the eternal challenge, you know, it, nothing new. One of Aesop's fables says that everybody is born with two sacks hanging around their neck. They have a big sack hanging in front of them right under their nose all day, every day that contains everybody else's flaws and is very visible to them, They're like an expert on what everyone else is doing wrong. Yeah. And then there's a smaller sack that hangs behind our, uh, behind our head and uh, behind our back um, that we can never really see, like, but it contains all of our own flaws and everyone else can see it, yeah. like, but we've got a kind of blind spot for it, basically is a point that he's trying to make. Um, And so this is a a perennial problem that we suffer from these blind spots and this difficulty applying wisdom in our own lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can help to have a mentor or a parent or a counsellor or a psychotherapist or an advisor. But to what extent do you think someone can attain clarity without help? from another individual so that so there's a challenge here i it's it's tricky um because you know you can't see uh your own biases very clearly 
but are there ways around it? Like, are we are we are we beyond hope unless somebody comes and saves us? Like, do we? To what extent do you think somebody can dig themselves out of the hole? Like, if they don't have someone like you as a coach or a mentor that could help them identify the blind spots, to what extent can they do it on their own? It, it's that's another excellent question. It, what I would say is, um, you don't need to have you know a formal relationship with anyone. But you do need to have feedback. You know, if you have no feedback, it's a guarantee you're going to be lost or you're going to be off track. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, trying to navigate without, you know, knowing where you are on the map. You know, if, if you get no feedback for where you are on the map, there's no landmark to say, like, I'm in the right place. Or if there's no GPS feedback yeah. telling me, like, here's, I'm off track or I'm on track, you can't make any progress. So I think you know, if you were to embark on this journey and say, I don't want to coach or a mentor or anyone else, you need to have people in your life that will give you feedback and you need to actively solicit feedback. Um, now you can do it, but it's far more difficult, <laughs> you know? And then my question to anyone who's like, you know, I don't, I want to do it all on my own. It's like, okay, you want to do it all on your own. You want to solicit all this feedback. Why do you want to take the hard path? What about you is keeping you from wanting to take an easier path? Um, and what is it that is um, driving you towards this, you know, stubbornness of not accepting it? And, and there's a different issue there. And the real issue keeping you from clarity is hidden in that question, mm-hmm. not in, you know, anything else. I'll tell you a story, Jim. That's uh, an old story. Um, it's two and a half thousand years old. Uh, so it comes from ancient Greece, um, and it's about an unlikely hero, like a guy, a famous Greek statesman, um, or notorious, some might say, called Alcibiades or Alcibiades, and he was the friend, some would say the lover of Socrates, um, And Plato writes about, many authors in the ancient world wrote about the dynamic or relationship between them. Uh, Many of those writings are lost. Um, But we have uh, a dialogue called The First Alcibiades by Plato that survives today. And in it, Socrates talks about the famous inscription at the entrance to the temple at Delphi that says, or know thyself. And Socrates said he's puzzled by this. Because if you ask people, hey, do you know yourself, buddy? They, at the most superficial level, they'd say, well, I know what I look like in a mirror. I know my name, you know. And Socrates would say, I think it means something else. You know, you haven't really understood the significance of it. It's much harder to know yourself. Uh, then you realize it's more than just knowing your name. Um, and he says it's difficult Uh, for us to know ourselves because we have a blind spot. He says, I would compare it to if the God Apollo instructed us. uh, He said, if the God Apollo spoke to you and said, I want your eye to see itself, how would it do that? It would be like a camera filming itself or something like that. Have a blind spot. I can't do it. And then, but then he goes on, as Socrates always does, to say something from going to say something that's kind of banal and common sense, he ends up saying something really super weird. Um, so what he then says is, uh, there is a situation where the eye 
uh, can see itself by looking at somebody else. And Alcibiades is kind of puzzled at first, and then he said, and then he remembers something which I would—I don't think I would have thought of. But he says, "You're right, Socrates." He said, "If you look into someone's eyes, sometimes you can glimpse your own reflection if you mm-hmm. look very closely in the pupil of their eye." Is that what you're talking about? And Socrates says, "That's exactly what I'm talking about." He said, "If you look at any other part of someone's body." like the forehead or their arms or the legs, you, you won't see your reflection. But if you look really deeply into their eyes, you can kind of glimpse your reflection. Strangely, by looking at the very thing that they use to see with. So the eye looking at the eye can glimpse itself. And he said this is a metaphor for the Socratic method. He said by using our intellect to examine the intellect of other people, we can glimpse sometimes our reflection of our own soul. Yeah. Right? Because if we spot errors that they make um, and assumptions that they hold, that we perhaps share, we understand their biases. It can give us some insight into our own biases, which otherwise we would have a blind spot for. Some people think it's really strange that Socrates was besties with Alcibiades because they seem like completely opposite characters. Mm-hmm. He was kind of notorious for being very reckless and kind of ruined Athens uh, militarily, um, argued like to some extent. Um, he's, very, he's one of the most controversial figures in Greek history. So people thought, what on earth did Socrates see in this guy, funnily enough? And I think the strange answer to that would have to be, based on the first Alcibiades, that so- what Socrates saw in that guy was his own mirror image which seems like a very bizarre thing to say because they're really opposite figures. But I think Socrates saw his own weaknesses, vulnerabilities, flaws, and biases in this young man. Um, And he'd kind of transcended them himself, but he still recognized that he had these vulnerabilities. He would talk about that. You know, he'd say that I still have desires and uh, weaknesses and things like that, but reason and philosophy have helped me to master them. But by working with other people and addressing their misconceptions and weaknesses, it helps me to gain more wisdom myself. I wonder to what extent we can gain clarity. Well, let me put it let me put it this way. I guess this is what I'm leading up to. To what extent do you gain clarity yourself by helping your clients? Oh, it, absolutely. I mean, my two greatest teachers in life have been my children. Um, you know, uh, you know, you'd think it'd be the other way around, but they've taught me more than anyone else in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, you know, your parents and the people you'd expect to be teaching you, but, um, clear my clients. And, and honestly, it's one of the reasons why I've told a number of people is like, listen, I don't think I ever really want to retire. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sure someday someone will retire me. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, steel sharpens steel, right? And so um, what you want to do is you want to engage with as many smart people as possible. Um, And uh, I never position myself as knowing more than my clients. Um, You know, it's one of those things where it's like, but together, you know, Mm -hmm. steel sharpens steel and we learn from one another. And I will tell you that I've learned so much more and so many, the book is written actually in story format. Mm -hmm. Like there are stories embedded within there. Um, that are, you know, fictional stories, but 
they come from lessons that are really gleaned from my client experiences where, and I've had some clients teach me things about leadership and teach me things about um, stuff that I thought, wow, that was amazing what they did there. Um, and so I do think that um, we learn from our interactions with other people, which is why mm-hmm. I say I never really want to retire because if I say I want to retire and not engage with other people on this intellectual level, um, then that basically says I'm kind of done learning. And I just, I can't imagine that day. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I think sometimes you make a choice in life, whether you uh, are out for yourself or whether you're out for other people. To some extent, uh, many people see it that way. They go, I don't have time to go around helping other people. I'm too busy, you know, trying to uh, help myself. But I think many people that work in helping professions or psychotherapists or counsellors or coaches, looking back in their life would say, you know, by helping other people, it's one of the best ways that we come to help ourselves, partly because of this bias that we mentioned. If you, you know, if you're just trying to uh, say you're just out there trying to do self-improvement, improve your own life, it's hard because you've got biases. But <laughs> when you're helping other people, you potentially try to transcend those biases. You can see their problems more objectively. And that helps you to gain perspective on your own problems. So actually helping others at the end of the day, turns out to be one of the best ways, one of the healthiest and most balanced ways, I think, of helping ourselves. Yeah. It's interesting because I do a lot of work supporting veterans. And, um, you know, I, I, I have a great deal of respect for people who've served to protect, you know, my ability to complain about slow Wi-Fi or, you know, a, a lukewarm coffee. Um, so, you know, I'm always very passionate about helping them. And One of the pieces of advice I used to give all the time was, hey, right now you're in transition, you're leaving the military, you're starting your professional life, be a bit selfish, you know, don't worry about helping other people, Um, you know, just kind of, you know, do that. And um, over the years, as I've helped a lot of different people, um, that's one piece of advice I've changed because um, through the feedback with several veterans and some other folks and just basically what you articulated, people have said, you know, go and help other people because that will help you. Um, and it will help you through your transition. And, um, I, I found the feedback I've gotten since I kind of changed that advice, um, has been really positive and that it actually works better than trying to be selfish for a little while. And, um, that, that was a big learning for me because it, it was counterintuitive, Yeah, but in retrospect, it's like, that was the right advice. It's a paradox. Yeah. Like, and the funny thing is the language that we use of self-improvement, self-help is all quite biased in terms of this quite introverted mm-hmm. perspective. And it turns out the irony is other help is the best form of self-help. Like, you know, other improvement is the best form of, of self-improvement. Like, you know, there's a, there's a risk that self-help and self-improvement because of the way it's traditionally framed is is quite inward looking and and maybe misses the very thing um, that would be most beneficial for us. Is there anything else that you wanted to add while we've got uh, the chance about uh, about the book? What else would people uh, take away from it if they were to to pick up a copy and read it? You know, I I, I guess to to carry on with your point, which I think is great, and I just love this discussion. I mean, I always enjoy speaking with you. It's always such a good discussion. Is is um, 
there's no value in wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come into existence unless you share it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it does not exist. It needs to be shared to exist. And that is, I think, um, you know, the essence of what you and I have been talking about here for the last so many minutes. It's, it's uh, you know, you can have wisdom, but if it doesn't leave your brain, <laughs> it doesn't leave your mouth, um, the reality is it doesn't exist. And so that's why it's incumbent upon all of us to kind of interact with one another in, in a way that's uh, trying to help everyone else. And, and that's really the mission of this book is like, listen, I, I've learned some things and I want to share them and I want to put it out there because if I don't, um, what good am I doing? Am I living a life worth living if I am not willing to share that? And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, that's all I want. And if, if a few people go, hey, I, you know, I'm going to pick that up and, and, you know, give it a gander, then I've, I've served my purpose. I can't remember exactly who it was. Now, I've got a hunch it might have been Cicero who, who just mentioned in passing uh, or observed that if somebody makes a discovery, they suddenly figure something out. They have a, a, an epiphany or a revelation. Of it, and it's about something important. He said it's, it's only human nature that the first thing that they want to do is rush out the door and tell their friends. Like he said, we instinctively, you know, no one arrives at a great insight and then thinks, I'm going to keep that to myself. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we, we naturally uh, want to share wisdom. We have an instinct. Interestingly, like a very pro-social instinct. We, we, we want to run out the door and, and shout it from the rooftops if we think we've suddenly, you know, like discovered uh, something important. So it's, I think it's fundamental to human nature in a way to, that we want to share our wisdom with other people. And uh, it's part of uh, what makes human history is the transmission um, of these ideas and the recycling of them and the reframing of them, passing them down from one generation to the next um it's what defines us uh our culture and our humanity in a way and uh i think it's a constant process you know so your perspective is framing it not so much in terms of wisdom but in terms of the clarity that we can achieve on the problems that we face and i think that will resonate um with uh, a lot of other people you know, in some ways, it's maybe a more contemporary way of looking at things. Um, I think, uh, you know, there are many people that would say, you mentioned this earlier, but um, there are many people today, I think, that feel that they're, they're struggling with clarity because they, they, they are overwhelmed. They are they're confused. They are distracted. Mm-hmm. Like, they drink from a fire hose <laughs> yeah. of information. Or is it? Is it, I don't even know if it is information, like junk, like off the internet. A lot of it is barely even. It doesn't merit the name information, like but stuff they mm-hmm. consume, uh, and it's overwhelming. I think for a lot of people, and I, I think that's one of the reasons that there's probably a desire for them to find stability and clarity uh, in the thinking. They could sit and watch. YouTube videos all day long about uh, self improvement, um, you know, until their eyes melt. Like, <laughs> but a lot of the information that they're going to get is 
off at a tangent or contradictory or you know or bad advice or it doesn't really resonate with them like and at the end of the day there's only one person that the buck stops with when it comes to self-improvement and and that is ourselves we depend on our own judgment we can refine it as we said in dialogue with other people um but that's one of the reasons i think that we need something like wisdom or clarity to guide us because ultimately uh it doesn't matter how much self-help or psychology we have access to we have to figure out what we're going to do with that information yeah and so we need to be able to think clearly about it and it's a struggle to do so uh when we're bombarded with so much advice so i think if if you i don't know if you uh, can sum up so easily but if there was one key piece of advice that uh, you'd like people to take away from your book you know what do you in a nutshell um if somebody was thinking about picking it up and reading it you know what would you tell them is the the main takeaway that you'd like them to derive from or you'd hope that they could take you know if i had to say the the key to the kingdom is curiosity you have to be curious you have to dig deep you have to just not accept things for what they are you have to understand and the only way you do that is by being curious and and um all the other good things happen if you are curious um everything else falls into place but that that is the one that without that it's very difficult to achieve anything other than just, you know, temporary wow. satisfaction of calming maybe some symptoms of what you're dealing with. It's mm-hmm. uh, curiosity is is really where it starts. Um, all the goodness comes, spawns from that. I think it was Plato that said philosophy begins with a sense of wonder. Yeah. Um, which just kind of reminds me of what you're saying. Well, with that, I think that's a good point to wrap things up for today. I'm uh, very grateful for your time, Jim. So I'd like to thank my guest, uh, Jim Vasilopoulos. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. Uh, please share this episode with your friends online. Post your comments below. And um, with that, uh, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Jim. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Donald. Cheers. <laughs>